please be advised. All music tracks used in this production are sole property of Kelson Communications and are original compositions. Also, please be advised that the sound bite you'll hear from Dr. Richard Stone, I was granted permission to use from administrative personnel at the VA in Washington. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. Coming up will be a Kelson on the Air social work podcast special series entitled Social Workers Confronting COVID-19 with Compassion, Courage, and Character. Over the next several weeks, you will hear from social workers from all over the country share their stories and their experiences battling and dealing with this devastating pandemic. It is my greatest wish that these stories will garner a new level of appreciation for the vitally important role that social workers play in confronting the challenges, heartbreak, and tragedies this coronavirus is wreaking on all of us. Social workers are there for everyone right now as they are always. To open up this series, please hear this profound message from Dr. Richard Stone, executive in charge of the Veterans Health Administration in Washington, D.C. Following that, you'll hear from Ms. Rebecca Gewertz. She is the executive director of the National Association of Social Workers, NASW, Massachusetts chapter. Please listen, learn, and be inspired. Thank you for tuning in. Today, I want to talk to you about our social work community. You know, social workers are always there. They're always part of our team, and they're always interacting with our patients for various specific needs. But now with social isolation, uh, people, uh, people have needed social workers for the first time. And our social workers, for the most part, have worked face-to-face with our patients and their families. Now they can't do that. It's very difficult work, and it's unprecedented the level of support we've gotten from our social works community. I want you to think about how much financial instability has, uh, has been induced during all of this shutdown. Uh, people are worried about money. People are worried about their jobs. People are worried about each other. And it's our social workers who are the glue that holds this together. And in any really good healthcare system, the social workers are out in front trying to make sure families are well taken care of and all of the unique needs that are not met by our medical professionals are really handled by the social work community. So today I'd like you to take a minute and just thank your social workers that are part of your team and recognize how much extraordinary work they've been able to accomplish throughout this pandemic. Thank you. To everyone tuning in, welcome. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. You're listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast, the program that promotes, celebrates, uplifts, and highlights the social work profession. This podcast aims to educate the general public to the vital contributions professional social workers make in every aspect of society every day. Rebecca Gewertz has been the executive director of the National Association of Social Workers, NASW, Massachusetts chapter, since April 2017. Prior to this, she served for eight and a half years as the Director of Government Relations and Political Action at NASW Massachusetts. During that time, Rebecca was a leader in the campaign to raise the minimum wage and co-chair of the Campaign for Our Communities, working with the support of nearly 100 organizations for a state revenue package that would be adequate and fair. She was a founder of the Welfare Coalition working for economic justice for the state's lowest income families. 
Rebecca was also the lead on passage of significant social work practice legislation, including legislation preventing non-compete clauses for social workers, legislation giving social workers Section 12 authority, and legislation protecting social workers from frivolous lawsuits. In addition, Rebecca led NASW's Massachusetts political action work, endorsing and supporting progressive candidates throughout Massachusetts who share social work values and priorities. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome to today's show the Executive Director of the National Association of Social Workers, Massachusetts Chapter, Ms. Rebecca Gowertz. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me, Silas. I'm really glad to be with you today. Well, one thing I want to point out to our listeners is that I came to get to know you through a very powerful article that I read online, and that captured my attention. The name of the article is, As I See It, Social Workers Are Essential Personnel, So Why Aren't We Talking About Them? So I want to first give you an opportunity to tell our listeners what inspired you and motivated you to write that article. Yeah, so at the Massachusetts chapter of NASW, we you know, have thousands of members across the state, and we are hearing from our members all the time. And when the outbreak began, uh, we were hearing from members in so many different settings. So people, social workers working in nursing homes, social workers working in hospitals, social workers working in prisons and jails, social workers working in schools. What do each of those places have in common? Well, they're places where there's high risk for outbreaks because they're places where people come together or they're places where people seek care. Uh, so social workers are at risk and they continue to get up every single day and go to those settings and do their jobs. So what was becoming frustrating to all of us, I think, at the Massachusetts chapter is that we're hearing from our members about these issues. And yet in the all the news media, there's there was very little discussion about the critical role that social workers are playing on the front lines, along with all the other critical healthcare frontline workers, certainly doctors and nurses and others who are who are, you know, treating people and, and saving people are essential and absolutely want to be talking about them. And we're all so grateful for their contributions. And in addition, there's this workforce of social workers who often quietly do their work uh, yes. and are just so essential. They are the ones that are also lifting up other healthcare workers within these settings. They're the people that others go to when they're dealing with the stress and trauma of what they're experiencing. And they're there delivering care and services to, to the clients within these settings. Absolutely wonderfully put. And I agree with you 100%. First and foremost, thank you for enlightening our listeners to all the different roles that social workers play. And the interesting mm -hmm. point is that, and I'm sure you'll agree, these are roles that social that we as social workers play on an everyday basis. This is nothing new yep. for us. You know, we're, we've always been in the trenches, but people don't know that because people just don't know what social workers really do. When people hear social worker, and I say this over and over again, and you, you'll hear me say this on many of my interviews and anytime I'm speaking and you know giving presentations, the first two things that come to mind to, for most people when they think of social workers, oh, you're the person that takes people's kids away and you're the person yeah. that helps people get food when they have food insecurity. And yes, that is true, but that's not all that we do. And with the onset of this pandemic, 
And as you put in your article so, so succinctly, the outbreak, you say, continues to exacerbate the social isolation, unemployment and unemployment, food insecurity, homelessness and housing insecurity, also the stress and the mental illness and the challenges within the family structure. How are social workers addressing that, in your opinion, specifically in your chapter and what you come to know from a bro- on a broader basis? Yeah, so our social workers are in these settings that have had uh, significant outbreaks. So, you know, nursing homes is a place that we've talked about quite a bit in terms of where there's high vulnerability to this disease uh, and where there's a lot of attention and support needed. So I want to give you one example of something that happened a couple of weeks ago. So uh, it was on the weekend and I heard from the head of our executive office of health and human services, uh, who is, had been the Medicaid director. And so he's acting as the, the, the chief now, um, while our current secretary, who is a social worker is running the command center for COVID-19. So he called and said they were looking for social workers for the Holyoke soldiers home. The Holyoke soldiers home has been, a place where there have been a really significant outbreak here in Massachusetts. Uh, the people who live there are veterans. Uh, a third of the population are 90 years old or older. So people who are at high risk. He said they were looking for about 14 social workers who would need to be, go in and be on the ground in the home. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, wow, this is a tall order. This is a place with a very serious outbreak. Uh, This is very hard work on the ground. And I said, let's see what we can do. And I put out the call. We put out the call in our network. And I was so moved by the response we got from our members. I got one person who, one social worker who responded back and said she lived a mile away from the Holyoke Soldiers Home and been hoping to find a way to help the veterans who were living there. And she would be honored to step forward for the call. And that was just one of 10 or 15 people who, social workers, who responded and said, yes, I want to help. Yes, I can go. Yes, how do I get more involved? Yes, what can I do? And to me, it, it was so moving, you know, such a moving display of, of and exactly typified who social workers are. They see a problem, they know it needs to be addressed and resolved, and they put up their hand and they say, why not me? I'll help. Exactly. I'll get involved. Yes. And and they were able to fill a lot of the positions they were looking for at at that home. Uh, and, And those veterans, as a result, are better off because they now have social workers on hand who can help and support people in desperate need during this time. Absolutely. And uh, the interesting thing to point out is that social workers are always volunteering, stepping forward, because that's part of the nature of who we are and what we do. While at the same time, you know, we also want people to recognize that there is a lot of value to what we do. And we want to just take a moment to say, 
you know, we're not asking for, and I talked to another social worker, you know, earlier this week uh, on another interview, we're not asking for a pat on the back, but just to realize that every aspect of society, every aspect of life that you could think of, there's a role that a social worker can play and probably does play. And especially in a time like this, in times of uh, uh, trouble and disasters, and especially during this pandemic, you know, we're seeing more and more. And I'm, I'm very encouraged and very um, heartened that there are a lot of professionals and uh, elected officials and so forth and, you know, administrators that are coming forth and recognizing the specific role that social workers play. You know, I saw a quote the other day by the uh, head of the VA uh, um, VA administration for the uh, the healthcare system specifically said that social workers are the glue that keeps it all together, especially in times like these. And that and that being said, inside and outside the healthcare field, mm-hmm. social workers play a role. Um, and one of the things that you mentioned in the articles that uh, outside of the healthcare mental health agencies services arena that social workers are quickly working to establish grab and go meal sites for students no longer able to attend school. That's a very important point. So could you elaborate on that? Because I know that's been big all over the country. I know here in New York, they were very concerned about closing the schools, especially in the city, because they said, well, most of the kids who go to those schools, they count on those two meals a day. So can you kind of give us some insight into how social workers have been addressing that issue? Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge issue and concern. When the schools got closed, you know, the schools are uh, have become, in many ways, uh, the most intact part of our social safety net. Over many, many, many years, there have been efforts to dismantle the social safety net. This preponderance of, uh, of people talking about the need for self-sufficiency and independence and the stigmatization of benefits programs like food assistance and like cash assistance that have historically done incredible things to lift people out of poverty. Uh, Those programs have been under assault. And so there are people who, of course, many, 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 many students, far too many in the richest country in the world who are food insecure and rely on meals at school to be able to not go hungry. If we can just stop and imagine that for a moment in this country, that that is the state of things, Mm -hmm. that 48 million people before this crisis were food insecure, Uh, 12% of the population of our country, food insecure. Uh, It just doesn't make any sense. And social workers are there both Uh, on the front lines to provide meals and to set up these places for people to go. So whether they're running an organization like Project Bread uh, that sets up these meal sites or whether they're advocating in the state house or with elected officials to make sure that we're expanding the nutrition program. So SNAP is, is still a federal program, thankfully. That's an entitlement program. There's been talk by some folks about block granting it, but that would be a total disaster in my in my opinion. Uh, it needs to remain an entitlement program and it needs to be expanded. Anybody who's hungry should be able to eat. Absolutely. You think you think about kids, how can we let kids go hungry? So we have social workers recognizing a problem saying we need to solve this problem. There are students who are not getting the food they need that they would normally get at school. So we're going to set up sites where families can come and get that food. Now, we know even against those be- the best efforts of, of social workers and others working to make these food sites available, that some students, some kids, families don't know about it, aren't able to access it 
don't have a car, don't have a way to get there. That's a problem. Uh, we have people who are falling through, slipping through the cracks. So my opinion is that what this pandemic is going to demonstrate to us, what it is already demonstrating to us, is the absolute necessity that we have right now of rebuilding our social safety net. Yes. That people shouldn't be living on this precipice. And social workers have been instrumental in the building of the social safety net and in advocating and fighting for things like cash assistance for low-income families. If you think about what are the things that help people in their life, what are the things that have helped any one of us in our lives? You know, frankly, having money to be able to spend on things that you need in your life yes. is, is essential to opportunity. Yes, so we need to, you know, bring that back, yes, <laughs> bring back um, assistance, cash assistance that helps families lift them into opportunity. Exactly. And your point is well taken. We've talked about and we've all studied at some point Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. If a person doesn't have the basic foundational needs, they won't be able to focus on or aspire to going to greater heights. And one of the things about the social work profession is that we as a profession, and it's in our code of ethics, we believe in the ability for each individual to reach their full potential. And in order for the person to reach their full potential, we have to make sure that the playing field is level to start with. I mean, I watched a documentary uh, a couple of years ago when uh, I went to a uh, uh, continuing education seminar and the, the head of one of the largest food banks on Long Island, uh, Long Island Cares, uh, I think his name is Mr. Paul Patcher. Uh, he came and, and, and he talked to us about the fact that food banks are essential because so many working families are experiencing food insecurity. And uh, the documentary was called A Place at the Table. And I don't know if you've heard it or seen it. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. Yes. And then you remember the scene where they were talking about the little boy sitting in class, hadn't had any breakfast. And the narrator had said that the teacher had an eraser in her hand and was making gestures while they were lecturing. And the student was so hungry that instead of seeing an eraser, the student imagined that that eraser was a hot dog in the teacher's hand and wanted to run up there and grab the hot dog out of the teacher's hand and eat it. So the point was, how is that student supposed to focus on learning their ABCs or learning the multiplication tables when all they can think about is that gnawing um, feeling in the pit of their stomach because they haven't had anything to eat? And so the breakfast and lunch programs are essential to making sure these kids can get a great start and the way to have a great start, we all know that you got to have that first meal of the day, that breakfast to kickstart your engine, to make sure your brain is functioning. So it's vitally important that people understand that by a social worker doing something as simple as making sure that they uh, prevent somebody from experiencing food insecurity, that they're doing a huge service to humanity because they're giving a child an opportunity to focus on learning as opposed to focus on hunger or where they're going to have their next meal, which is goes back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I think that when people look at it that way, that child who now doesn't have to focus on food insecurity can now learn and fulfill their potential and go on to be something bigger and better. And I think, Rebecca, that one of the things that your article pointed out is that the work that social workers do, 
gives an, an, an individual an opportunity to, like you said, to rise above their circumstances so that they can be all that they are capable of being. And that's the power and the beauty of social work that I think people miss out on. A lot of times when you hear, you know, people talking about, um, you know, people who use social services or have a social worker, they, they always think negatively. They think less of that person. But how many people that we walk past every day, had it not been for a social worker, would not be where they're at today? You know, and I, a lot of times I use myself as an example. The power of social work is we change people's lives for, for good and forever, for the better. And, and when that happens, that person goes on and makes a positive impact on their children, their community. And so there's an old saying that a, a, a rising tide lifts all boats. Well, yeah. so, social work is that rising tide. So, and I'm really grateful to see, you know, all the things that were happening in Massachusetts as this pandemic unfolded. So the other thing. Well, I will also say, I mean, when you talk about kids, you know, we know that kids who are food insecure are at higher risk of developing asthma, yes. anxiety and depression, and they have worse outcomes in school. So all of that has has been documented. It's factually true. Yes. Um, so I just no. wanted to add that it's an important point because we can feel it emotionally. Nobody should be hungry. Um, but we, we also know it from a data and statistical uh, standpoint that, 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 that kids have worse outcomes in school when they're food insecure. Absolutely. And uh, another thing that was very interesting in your article, you talked about um, social workers, um, being the leading task force and large scale government agencies working to rapidly pass legislation. Now, mm -hmm. a big part of what social workers are mandated to do um, within the NASW Code of Ethics is to become politically active, to advocate for, for change in order to acquire social justice for those who who have not been able to experience it. So um, on a large scale government agencies, social workers can be in those trenches. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've seen that unfold where social workers step into the halls of, of government and have made a difference, especially during this pandemic time? Yeah, you know, I was actually just talking about this earlier about, you know, in my role, one of the things that I do uh, is I try to leverage the expertise and the experience of the members of our board mm -hmm. and our, cause they are our social workers on the ground doing, doing the work in the field. Uh, one example that I have given before is, you know, our board president is the director of the Charlestown coalition mm -hmm. and she came and spoke. She's also a clinical social worker. She came and spoke at a hearing on our deep poverty bill, a bill to lift, lift kids out of deep poverty. And she could talk about this issue in a way that was so powerful, so mm -hmm. compelling, so persuasive, because she's there. She mm -hmm. talked about a little boy who used to go to the laundromat, you know, across the street, but it got it burned down and got replaced by million dollar condos. And he's living in, you know, public housing. And he had no place to clean his family and no place to get his clothes cleaned on a regular basis. So he was going to school with um, clothes that didn't smell good and he was getting made fun of. And so he would get up in the morning and he had a choice. He could go to school and suffer that consequence <laughs> or he could stay home, you know, and say he was sick or something else. 
but he would miss the two meals he would get at mm, school. Wow. So, so there was no good choice for this oh young boy. Wow. Uh, and she could tell that story. She could come and say, this is the experience on the ground when kids are living in deep poverty. Mm. And it, telling a story like that illustrates in a way that is that people can understand that people can relate to that people can that causes people to want to take action Mm -hmm. they say wow i didn't know that was happening this we should do something about this and as a result of that we should pass this bill Mm, you know we should move this initiative forward so kids don't have to live in those circumstances yes so that's why social workers especially frankly clinical social workers make some of the best messengers of public testimony and with legislators because Uh, they can speak to that experience on the ground. Absolutely. So sometimes people try to divide the clinical and the macro and say, oh, there's clinicals over here and the macro social justice work is over here. And I like to use that example to just to explain exactly why they're inextricably linked. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and, and we talk a lot about, you know, research that's been being conducted in the last, I would say, five or so years. It's uh, something, you know, not not new, relatively new. I mean, that's the uh, social determinants of health. Social workers are the original practitioners of the social determinants of health, by the way. I've always said that, you know, I worked in public health, uh, the Mass Public Health Association mm-hmm. for three and a half years. And there's so much talk about the social determinants of health. And all I could think is like, who are the original pioneers, the original a- practitioners? Absolutely. It's, it's social workers. Absolutely. Like, looking at what's happening in the clinic or in the clinical environment and thinking about what are the environmental reasons for these problems that we're seeing? Why are people getting sick? Why do people have severe mental illness yes. what is happening outside of the one-on-one mm-hmm. situation that is that that we need to address societally yes yes because it's a, it's an all-encompassing type of viewpoint that social workers have kind of said to society you can't just look at it in, a, in isolation you got to look at the big picture we talk about person and environment uh we talk about the biopsychosocial all the factors that go into making up a person's lived experience we've also heard social workers talking about aces adverse childhood experiences yeah. where and then that goes right back to that food insecurity a child that experiences food insecurity at, at a young age that affects the way that they develop and how they um view uh, other human beings you know how could it be that uh that i don't have anything to eat you know who's responsible for that well maybe nobody cares or maybe i'm not worth caring people don't realize and this is what the social work profession does is to peel back all of these layers and make people realize that there are things that happen to individuals that determine how they're going to further develop or not Um, And these things happen at a very, very early age. And social workers are uniquely trained and educated to be able to spot that and to be able to try to uh, intercede before that becomes a huge or a major problem. So the other thing is that, you know, we we talk about the life cycle, you know, from birth, you know, to to, to elderly. You know, know, Erickson talked about the eight stages of development. Mm -hmm. Those that are up in age, the elderly and those who have lost loved ones to this pandemic, um, social workers are there for them as well, um, especially, yeah. like you said, the nursing homes and the hospices. But even in the hospital, you know, I, I was talking to another colleague earlier this week and 
it's the social worker that has to break the news to the family that their loved one just passed away and they were the last one that they saw and so forth and so on. What's your thoughts on what you've been seeing, how this is being addressed, especially with the elderly and those in hospice? Now that all the social distancing has been put into place in most states, then people that care about their loved ones can't even go to see them. Who's there? It's the social worker. So can talk about that a little bit. That's exactly right. It's the social worker. And that's why there was a need at the Holyoke Soldiers Home that I mentioned earlier in our mm-hmm. discussion. You know, they social workers are essential. They are the the connection between the the client, the person, and the person's family and the person's community. And they share information. They're the ones who are who are helping people to plan, who are helping people through grieving processes. Uh, We had, as we talked about in our um, op-ed, you know, one social worker member shared her experience of talking through worst case scenarios with her older adult clients who'd been heavily affected by the virus. That's what social workers are doing. They're helping to bring people comfort. Yes. I can tell you on a personal level, you know, my, my mom died sadly about 15 years ago. And at the end of her life, she was in hospice at home and the hospice nurse who came was wonderful. Uh, and I had such incredible respect for the work that she was doing. And at the same time, they also had a hospice social worker come to our house. Yes. And I remember that woman's face. Mm-hmm. It was you know, it's been 15 years and wow. I remember sitting with her and her asking me how I am and her talking to me through the sorrow and the grief of, mm-hmm. of the experience. And it was, it was so important to me as a family member of someone who was dying to be able to have that connection to somebody who was really listening to me, who cared yes. uh, and who was trying to find out how I was doing and how my, my brother was doing and how my dad was doing uh, as we struggled through the end days of my mom's life. Um, yes. So if social workers are everywhere uh, and everywhere they are, they're providing comfort and support and uh, their passionate advocacy too for the people that they're serving. Yes. So it's such a special profession. Absolutely. Uh, and, and it needs to be celebrated and lifted up and elevated in every way that we can, we can find ways to do that. Uh, and so that's, that's part of our role. Yes. You know, at NASW. Exactly. That, you know, our, our role is to have the back of social workers. Social workers have the backs of everybody else. And right. our job is to have their back. Yes. So that's what, that, that's what we're, we're trying to do. And that's what we're trying to do through this op-ed. Absolutely. Too. And all, Also, that's what my greatest drive and desire and passion is as an e-journalism social work advocate is just to uplift and highlight the social work profession because there is so much that people don't realize. And one of the things that we have to make sure that the public becomes aware of is that social workers are skilled at adapting to change at a moment's notice. You know, you you talked about in your op-ed the fact that social workers are rising to the occasion and they're learning to quickly adapt to telehealth. Now, prior to this, you know, pandemic, there might have been some social workers who really would shy away from the technological aspect. You know, obviously we have to do our notes, so that's all computerized with the, the HIPAA regulations and, you know, the electronic uh, transfer of data. So we'd always have to kind of be technologically adept at working to get the notes done. But now this pandemic has forced social workers who might not have even known what Zoom is 
Social workers are now Zooming and they're doing, <laughs> doing it rather uh, succinctly. So talk a little bit about how social workers have been able to adapt to the, the demand because there's a demand. That's the only, oh, yeah. that's the only link now. I, I mean, I'm working with veterans and they got upset when they were told that, you know, because of social distancing, there would be no more face to face for a while. However, as soon as possible, they all got iPads and we all had to get up to speed on how to use it. And we had to make sure that they got up to speed on how to use it. Talk a little bit about that adaptability of social workers as it relates to this pandemic and the whole concept of telehealth. Yeah. So our social workers were not going to be stopped in helping people (laughs) from the one that we talked about in the piece about wiping down the surfaces in order to, you know, and then maintaining the six feet of distance so that she could continue to see her client who was in need. Many, many, many social workers have now adapted to telehealth and are providing services via telehealth and are helping people that way. Uh, they have not slowed down. They're on it <laughs> and, and doing their work this way. There are some people for whom telehealth from a client standpoint is difficult, you know, and they don't, it, everybody feels better when you're in person, yes. you know, I mean, that's, that's the place where we all want to be, right? Exactly. But in these times, that's not an option. Yes. And so adapting is really important. And so that what we tried to do, especially in the first couple of days and week or so of the outbreak uh, here in Massachusetts, you know, we've been an epicenter here of, of the, the outbreak. We've had a lot of cases and a lot of death. But what we tried to do at NASW was gather as much information as we possibly could so that our clinicians, in, both in private practice and in other clinical settings, could have the tools and information they needed to be able to continue to practice. Uh, so we created a whole page on our website about telehealth, about HIPAA compliance, about the different insurance companies in Massachusetts and what they were doing. Mm-hmm. We advocated for executive orders that would allow telehealth across state lines for social workers. Mm-hmm. You know, there are limitations on that in normal times. Uh, we were successful at that. Uh, our governor was actually the first governor in the country to do telehealth for mental health across state lines. And then other states started doing it. Now, most New England states have this, which is a hugely important for the clients that, that social workers see, especially college students. You know, we have a lot of schools, colleges here in Massachusetts and those who were sent home, you know, were seeing a social worker here. They wanted to continue that relationship. To be able to do that was really important for their mental health. So, yeah, so they're adapting, adapting, learning, and continuing to help people yes. in, in every format that's available to them to be able to do so. Absolutely. And one of the things I think that, that goes unnoticed and is not mentioned enough is that social workers also have the daunting challenge of convincing some of their not-so-technologically savvy clients that this is a good way for them to maintain some type of contact. I know that um, a lot of the uh, the veterans where I work, they're very uh, hesitant and resistant to, to even try to learn how to use the tablet. Um, but once they do it, they find another measure of comfort because there is that face-to-face. Like you said, nothing beats person-to-person, but face-to-face is always better than just having a phone conversation. Um, so we, we have to also convince 
uh, clients that, hey, this is in your best interest until things get back to normal. I would say with the vast majority of clients, that's that works. There are this like small number of people who maybe have very serious mental illness, who maybe have like a schizoaffective disorder or something, who have or have paranoia, who have, you know, their own really legitimate worries yes. about uh, telemedicine. So we have to figure out ways to be able to continue to serve people in those situations, too. And I think those are the more complex and challenging situations Absolutely. Um, that's, that social workers, psychologists, others experience. And uh, last thing I'd like you to touch on is that you mentioned in your article is that Governor Charlie Baker, he actually named social workers as part of the contingent known as essential personnel. So you just kind of like highlight that just a little bit. Yeah. So in the process of, you know, when things were closing down at first and there was a question of, well, who should work and who needs to continue to work and who is quote unquote essential as social workers are named. And it's true. As we talked about, you and I, throughout this interview, and in the, all the variety of places where social workers work, their expertise, their knowledge, and their presence is essential. So we were very glad to see social workers included. And at the same time, you know, that these are people just like the other frontline workers who sometimes risk their lives for yes, their jobs. Absolutely. Sometimes risk their lives. Yes. And that's big. That and is. that that should not be taken for granted. That, Absolutely. You know, and so so we just salute all of the social workers out there who are who are not getting recognized in the same way necessarily than some of the other frontline workers are, but who are there on the front lines and who are doing this frontline work that's essential with families at this time of crisis. And we seek to raise them up and lift them up and let them know that we're here for we're here for you. If you're a social worker out there listening, we have your back and we will do everything we can to lift up your voice and work with you uh, into the future. Absolutely. And, and that's always been the role of, of the social work profession all the way back to Jane Adams on up through the ranks mm-hmm. to Whitney Young, Dorothy Height, Ida mm-hmm. B. Wells. It's always been the role and the desire of the social work profession to uplift those who are quote unquote thought to be less than downtrodden, the disenfranchised, the voiceless and lift them up and make sure that they have a voice and social workers on most occasions are that voice. And then just a matter of being able to give a person a fair chance to just go on and excel in life. That's what social workers bring to the table every day. And that's why it's very important for society as a whole to just really recognize the value that the social work profession brings to the table each and every day. And uh, hopefully that the services that social workers are providing all over the country and globally will be more appreciated and recognized. And that's why I'm really grateful to have uh, individuals like yourself to come on and and just kind of talk about and tell our listeners just the special role that social workers play and the special type of people they are. And it takes a special type of person to do the work that we do. Yeah. And if I would, if I would leave you with your listeners, I guess, with any last sort of thoughts, mm-hmm. um, one of them would be uh, about the need to change our frame that everything we've talked about, about the role of social workers and what social workers do has to do with the fact that as a society, we are interreliant, that we need each other, that I have never met a person in my life who is quote unquote self-sufficient. Each one of us was raised by someone, was taught life's lessons by someone, was worked through a difficult math problem with someone. We need each other. 
And we need, as a result, to rebuild our social safety net. That is the way forward and the way out. You know, we think about some of these diseases like opioid use disorder and the, the opioid epidemic that has, I'm sorry, substance use disorder and the opioid epidemic that has gripped our nation. And here in the Northeast, it's been a huge problem. To me, that is a definition of a disease of despair. Mm-hmm. When people don't have hope and people don't have opportunities, they turn to uh, sometimes turn to substances. So how can we create more hope? How can we create better jobs that pay people at fair and decent wages? How can we bring back pensions? How can we raise the minimum wage to, you know, in Massachusetts where we're going to be at $15 an hour that we need to go even higher? We should do that in the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. How can we roll back some of these corporate excesses that have put us in this place where the, uh, the vast majority of the wealth in this country is controlled by such a tiny, small fraction of people mm-hmm. who are not impacted in the way that, that low-income people, people of color are impacted right now during this crisis. Exactly. We need to change that. And I believe that it starts with changing our frame. Mm-hmm. It starts with thinking about how we're interreliant and interconnected that the greater good is dependent on the most vulnerable being lifted up. And that that is the way forward. Yes. And I think social workers will be there as they always have been throughout history leading that charge. Um, and so I couldn't be prouder to be in this role, working for this organization at this time uh, as we as we find a, find a new way forward, yes. I think, for our country. Absolutely. And just to kind of you know wrap things up, um, the late, great Dr. Martin Luther King uh, once said that I am not all that I can be until you're all you can be and you're not all all that you can be until I am all that I can be. So that's that interrelatedness that you were just talking about. And so we we are all connected and we are um, all interdependent on how someone reacts to us, how we react to someone else. It makes a difference. And at the end of the day, if there's one person that's suffering, then somebody dropped the ball and somebody didn't do their job. And social workers are the ones that say, hey, let's make sure everybody gets a fair shot. And, And that's not about a handout, it's about a hand up, and, and that that's people... right. It's about fomenting justice, as I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, let's foment justice yes. in, this, in this country, and I say, and here in Massachusetts, you know, we really there's a way to do that. We've seen great successes in our state legislature here in Massachusetts on some critical issues around. You know, last year we had great success. We lifted the family welfare cap on kids, which had said that if if you were second child to a mother who, or a family who had been receiving assistance, um, you didn't get any benefit. No benefits. The state treated you like you didn't exist. Uh, you weren't even eligible for the yearly children's clothing allowance. Wow. And that has been in place since 1996. And last year, our state legislature, after a ton of work by us and, of course, our, our friends and allies in, in coalition and in the legislature, uh, they lifted the welfare cap on kids. And we don't have that anymore in our state. So I, I have seen it. We, we've raised the minimum wage two times in my career since I've you know, been at this work in 06 and again a couple of years ago. Uh, we can do this. It is possible. Uh, we've seen it here in the state. And it's not that, oh, this is this liberal panacea here. It's not. There's a lot of you know, really conservative thinking that happens in Massachusetts, but it's, been, it's by building coalition, bringing people together, uh, having social workers and others tell the story of what poverty means and uh, and and then 
having success and winning and moving those initiatives forward and creating more justice. Very well said. And we're going to end it on that note. So I want to thank you for joining us here on the Kelson on the Social Work Podcast. Our special guest has been Ms. Rebecca Gewert the executive director of the NASW Massachusetts chapter. Thank you very much for having me. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate and host of the show. You've been listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. This and all other programs are available on the Apple iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Anchor podcast platforms. Go to any search engine and type in Kelson on the Air in the search window to hear this show in its entirety. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a Kelson Communications production.